to the Resolution Project's Young Leaders Now podcast. We are very excited to be joined today by Resolution Fellow Jean-Paul Laurent. Jean-Paul is the founder of the Unspoken Smiles Foundation, a non-profit organization whose mission is to expand access to oral health services for those living in Haiti and other underserved regions all over the world. The nonprofit partners with local schools to develop a sustainable model that promotes improved oral health by providing ongoing dental care and education. As of 2018, Unspoken Smiles Foundation has served nearly 7,000 children in eight countries across four continents. So, hello, JP. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Jared. How are you today? Very well, thanks. Very happy to be here. And uh, welcome to listeners. So let's get started um, by talking a little bit about your uh, background uh, and kind of you were born in Haiti and and you grew up there. Tell us a a little bit about your uh, experience there. Yes, absolutely. I was born and raised in Haiti. And uh, to be honest, this is this was my uh, my greatest uh, part of my life. And uh, specifically because, you know, Haiti is the only country I knew uh, growing up. I never traveled anywhere before. I only watched them on TV. And everything that we we lived in Haiti was part of uh, who, who I am. And, and uh, it was basically the greatest time ever. And so you uh, went to primary school there, right? Yes, I, was, I went both to primary school, high school, and the first uh, year of college. And uh, the primary school I went to, it was an all boys Catholic schools, and it was, it was very one of the best uh, in the country. They've been there for over 150 years and more. And if you if you want to be someone in Haiti, going to those schools was the, the place. To, those schools were the place to be. Mm-hmm. And and then trans- transitioning to high school, my high school, even though it was a private Catholic school, but it was mixed. Uh, like they allowed uh, women also in in the in this high school, so a lot transitioning to that time is when started uh, having trouble in schools, misbehaving, and everything like that. Until the second year in in that school, I got kicked out, mm. and uh, everything changed from there. Would you mind sharing what you got kicked out for, or is that something conversation <laughs> for another day? No, sure. I, I can talk about it. In fact, uh, I mentioned that as part of my tech talk recently. Mm. And uh, I got kicked out because I was mostly a people pleaser. You know, I was uh, trying to always try to make people happy. And the students uh, kind of put me at, as the star of the school. Anything, Anytime they wanted to, to do something bad or to disturb the class, and they know that they have the gut to do it, they will call me to do it and, and I'll be the first one to, to go and do it. And, and then, so that's that's one of the reasons why after many calls, they called my parents and everything like that. And then one last time, uh, I released uh, an insect in the class, back of students, they started screaming and the school principal came in and so it was me again. So I, I basically got kicked out. And then from that time, uh, my dad was, uh, I gave him a lot of credit because he still wanted me to have the best education uh, and put me in the best schools as p- possible. And he was looking around to find uh, some of the best schools to, to get me in because it was early in the year. Nobody wanted to take me because the inscription was already done and everything like that. So that we went to, to hell finding like a good school. 
And so once we finally found a good school to, to, to do it, that's when I decided to turn my life around and use that uh, negative side of me and turned it into positive, you know. And ever since then, I never got into trouble ever again. So getting kicked out of school was actually like a major turning point in your life Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. It was yeah. one of them uh, of uh, the major turning point for me in my life. So after you, um, your dad found you a new school, um, you finished high school, um, and then you decided to, to move to the U.S. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't decide to move to the U.S., but it, okay. it's, it was a dream of everyone in high school, you know. You know? And in fact, a lot of the students that were in my class, they, they were cutting schools and, and use the money that was going towards paying for high school. They use it and burn that money because they knew they were traveling and leaving the country. So education wasn't important to them. So I, I'm kind of glad I didn't know I was coming to the U.S. because I probably would end up doing the same thing <laughs> and, and, and not finish high school because a lot of the students, they say, you know what, once I'm going to the country, I, I don't need this high school, which, is, uh, which was wrong to do. And, uh, but uh, for me, I continued school. I, did, I had very good grades, and it was, uh, it was, it was a, a very important for me to finish school there, which was very helpful also when I moved to the U.S. because I went straight to college. I didn't have to go to high school and everything like that. All my papers were valid once I translated them into English. And, and what year was this that you moved to the U.S.? Yes, I moved in the U.S. in 2004. And that was March 9. It was a very cold night. And, and it was actually, th there were political instability in Haiti at that time. And our initial attempt was February 28. Then there were like so many shooting at the airport. We had to they cancel all flights. We went back home. Then on March 9, we decided, you know, no matter what happens, we're just going to leave the country today. So so was that political instability a factor in you moving to the U.S.? No, it wasn't the fact that we, we had the authorization. We got the invitation to come. So that's one of the reasons I was like very lucky because uh, they told me before I turned 21, I had to get all those papers. So we got all residency cards while in Haiti. Mm. So all we had to do is just move in. But because of the political instability there, we couldn't move the, at the initial time. So we had to remove. We, we had to wait in March nine on standby, and while they were still shooting at the airport, but we still managed to get inside. We waited for the last flight, and then we ended up coming to U.S. To JFK like around eleven midnight. Wow. When you first moved to the U.S., you didn't speak any English at all, right? That's correct. I mean, I had basic English, but, you know, in Haiti, with the teachers, they, are not, uh, they weren't raised in in U.S., so the, the working English that they were teaching the students wasn't enough to communicate or do anything, basically. It's, like, completely different. And um, so when I moved here, I didn't speak any English uh, at all. I had to, in fact, my uncle... Uh, which I give a lot of credit to, brought me to to ESL course at Bosis Nayak where they teach they were teaching English for adult uh, immigrants. So that's where I I learned the solid grammar and and basic English communication, creative English enough to get me into college and everything. And what did you study at college? So after I, I did, I spent about a year learning English and, and asked uh, 
the teachers uh, to you know every time I feel confident about the course I ask them to take it the next level class so they will they will push me forwards and give me all those extra work that I asked for so that I can be better prepared for the college entrance exam so a year later I transferred to Rockland Community College where I get uh, my associate degree in liberal arts and math and sciences so after studying that you then transferred to NYU for dental school um Tell us a little bit about um, your interest in, in that work. Yeah, I mean, even when I was in Haiti, I was always uh, interested in the medical field. But when I moved here, because I didn't finish anything, so it was kind of like uh, undecided where I wanted to go. And um, But, you know, around towards uh, the last year of uh, community college, I, I got really interested into dentistry. And because I already had an associate degree and NYU was the only school with that offered a bachelor degree in dental hygiene. So I wanted to go inside that school, make the right connection as a minority because it would be difficult to get into dental school. So I figured it would be best if I go inside, take this program, and so that way I could be able to work and support myself and my family, and then make the transition to dental school while there. But during that course, uh, when I transferred there and I started going to that school, that's when the earthquake happened in Haiti. And then um, uh, a, a year later, I took an independent trip uh, to, to provide help because uh, that's all I know how to do. I didn't have money and the only thing I could do is provide my skills to help other camps. And that's when uh, everything changed for me. I got supports from... Uh, American Dental Associations, they give me the supplies, and then I uh, used my own funding to travel to, to Haiti, and it was the first time I returned back since moving to the U.S., so it's, it was kind of uh, a bittersweet moment. So how long had you been away at that point? Uh, from 2004, I returned in 2011, probably mm-hmm. like uh, five, five, six mm-hmm. years later. And so, yeah. yeah, so that was another, you know, huge turning point in your life. And you actually, exactly. when you went back to Haiti, you, with your kind of newly acquired uh, dentist skills, you went to your primary school, correct? That was the That's first place correct. you yeah. went to help. No, no, the first place after the earthquake was the, 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 the camps. Like mm. the, 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 there was a camp near my brother's house was completely destroyed. So that's where we set up the first project. And so, again, this is also when I, I, tr- I realized the true uh, uh, poverty in Haiti because everything became smaller to me. Everything became another issue because I was already used to the U.S. system. And you won't know until you travel outside of Haiti to see how people live. And that's when you, you can t- uh, see the difference between the real poverty and how people normally live. And then when I traveled there at the camp, and I was seeing uh, uh, infections like similar to the things that I would see in books. Uh, and, and that kind of opened my mind. It was like, wow, there's so many things that could be prevented and treated uh, 100%. And those kids uh, are, are living with this. And I, I wanted to figure out a way to help out. And that's where the idea of Un- Unspoken Smile came to because I knew that I wanted to tell the story behind the, those smiles because despite those kids being um, uh, affected by this issue, poverty and, and, and death surround them, 
they were still smiling and happy so that kind of touched me and 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 that made the the second turning point in my life to to really focus on the humanitarian side of uh, of dentistry so so once you had this idea for for unspoken smiles and you'd gone back to Haiti and you'd um you know you initiated some of this work um what was the next step for you after coming back to the US how did you um work to develop this idea and to turn it into a full-fledged non-profit yes uh immediately when i returned back home my focus was to, to finish school and do everything else and started working and everything like that so that was my only focus uh, there even though i was still thinking about those kids so i didn't think about uh, to the extent of how we can I'm, I'm gonna help them so maybe it could be like just an annual trip that i take personally to to help out but until i saw an opportunity to to compete for uh, the resolution project uh, fellowship program at Harvard University and at that time i was uh, i had an exam to do that weekend i asked my professor if they can let me go and then i'll take the exam when i get back so they 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 said yes you can do that and so i i took uh, to the bus and and head to boston to compete uh, for the resolution fellowship and that and then after a while competing uh, i ended up winning the resolution fellowship that weekend after being grilled by judges questions and everything like that and this is in 2013 right yes yes november uh, 9 2013 and mind you it was the very first time that i presented uh, uh something like that publicly in front of people questioning me mm. and and giving that uh my i was still mindful of my haitian accent and everything like that so it was like a very tough moment at the same time a very courageous moment for me because you know i was able to pull it pull it off and at the same time winning that fellowship because i remember like there were, there was a girl who came to compete uh, during the same fellowship program she didn't win and and she never uh, continued with that project again so uh, i'm not sure if i didn't win that fellowship if i would continue to that so i think winning that fellowship truly opened my mind into uh, what i can do with this project started because you know i was already thinking about it after the earthquake but the resolution fellowship gave me validity to to take a uh, full ownership of this project moving forward so that's that's when things happen so this is really the first time that you had uh, pitched your idea to people outside of kind of friends and family yeah not even friends and family because mm. i knew like friends and family they wouldn't believe me right <laughs> so it was like the very first time ever i was like something happened inside of me and just say hey, just take a look and see what can happen so i did it uh and 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 then i'm grateful i did this i i, I did it and look at us now mm. uh, and i give all credit to the resolution project because uh without this uh this uh fellowship i would it, i would be doing something completely different mm. so tell us about um what you did with that funding uh, so so how mm -hmm. much did you did you win and then you know what was the very first thing that you did with that money Yes, I mean, uh, for me, I didn't need a lot of money for my programs because um, uh, w the very first things that we did to get on board with the fellowship, I had to provide additional information and, and, and a letter uh, 
to 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 make sure that I will receive the the supplies that I put on on the application. So it's like the onboarding process. The onboarding yeah. process, which was also like a tough. So I had additional steps to take before fully getting that fellowship. Mm-hmm. And so once I get that cleared up, I I receive uh, fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, to 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 do the fellowship, so I use that funding, the first part of the funding, to pay for the travel tickets and transportations, and and I um, because I had all the supplies already, I had everything, I didn't need any extra money, so I basically used build that big organization with uh, fifteen hundred dollars seed grants, and that's when we launched the official pilot in Haiti. And it was in the very first, the, the very school that I attended years ago when I was growing up in Haiti, and that was like a, a greatest moment of my life because uh, I was able to look at the the children wearing the same uniforms that I was wearing, but doing it in a different way because like I feel like I was I was I was them, and the only difference is my time. I never received like a, a programs like the, like that where people from outside came to the school and, and, and provide education about oral care or any other things uh, for that matter. But for me to be the first one to bring that and that to, to the same school that I went was a very inspiring moment because, you know, I know that this moment will, will bring hope to the students currently studying to let them know that no matter w- w- what you do now, so you can never think where you're gonna be in life later on. So that was a very inspiring moment for me. Um, so you have your your program running in Haiti. Walk yeah. us through how you turned that project into you know fully fledged nonprofit. Yes. Um, so after I I did the the first pilot in in the school, it was like widely successful, very well coordinated in partnership with the school the principal. And that's when I knew that this model is a model that can be replicated to different regions in the country nationally and then eventually internationally. And that's when we decided to 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 take step to turn this into a nonprofit organization because I knew I would need help to to continue the programs uh, and the best way to do it is was to turn it into a nonprofit. So I I reached back to the resolution project fellowship to to start the process so they connected me with a law firm that helped me um, get uh, the 501c3 status for free free of charge and um, so once we got that in october 1st 2015 that's when we were able to really take everything else into to formalize the organizations from there so and at that time also the project was only in Haiti, so we were basically working in Haiti. And at that time, I knew that I didn't have the skill to run a nonprofit organization, and I needed to learn how to to make the organization more effective and efficient. And for that, so that's why I ended up going to Columbia CEPA to get my master's in public administrations, but with a focus on nonprofit management because I was basically tailored all my courses on things I needed to learn to to make uh, the organization more effective. So from 2015 to 2017, two years in the program, that's why we, we grew the organization to uh, seven countries around the world uh, because, you know, once people start seeing the initial pilot in Haiti, they wanted to get involved 
And that's when we know that this issue is not an issue only in Haiti. It's a global issue. In fact, there are, according to the World Health Organization, there are 3.58 billion people who are affected by all diseases. And it's basically and half the population. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much half of the world's population. And 486 million of them are children. And once once I came across this number, I was like, uh, we have a chance, uh, the opportunity to to build something uh, that can make history, you know, and and for the first time to to include oral health as part of the global agenda, which is normally one of the most overlooked health problems. So that's that's when when I was studying my masters, that's where the vision, the global vision for unspoken smile came through. And we started uh, having pilot program chapters all around the world in India, Romania, El Salvador, Iraq, uh, Guatemala, and, and most recently the Dominican Republic. And how do you choose these countries? So initially we, uh, we get uh, requests from, from a, a private network of dentists uh, who usually reach out to us. They fill out an application uh, uh, forms to get on board. And then once we screen them and, and, and we get them on board as the official country representative program. And then as part of that, they have to organize, um, within a year, they have to organize an official pilot program in the school so that we know that they have the skills and, and, and momentum to take the, the uh, program to the next level. So initially, during those two years, that's, that's how it used to, to be uh, in order to get global. But moving forward right now, how is, as we're getting more established, we're turning this into a global competition open to everyone, different sector, because oral health affects everyone, not specifically dentists. So we opened our opportunities um, to for people to compete and uh, with a specific mission to, con- to, to tell us how they hope to contribute to the reductions of those big numbers. And, and, and that's where we, they, they go to a uh, full-year competition process and then those who are selected as um, as the global representative will then be given uh, awards and and seed funding also to take on the project specifically to advance our missions in dental care so it's sort of like a fellowship program exactly like similar to a resolution project Mm -hmm. but instead of each individual presenting their own ideas they have the one mission to 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 tackle the the global issues that that pertains to our missions. Talk a little bit about the importance of working with um, local dentists in the communities, because when you very first started, you were bringing dentists from the U.S. over to Haiti, correct? That's right. That's so right. How, when, and how did you realize that um, that wasn't a uh, applicable model, and that you? Uh, had to work with the local dentists. Absolutely, yes. And one of the things that we wanted to, I wanted to be with the organization is to really stand out and be the leader in the, the global hub in the field of dentistry, just like uh, the doctor without borders, but for dentistry. But in order to get there, we wanted to figure out how we can be different from any other mission, dental missions around the world which oftentimes are started by retired dentists or schools, and their sole mission is to provide treatments. 
So we didn't want to be the next uh, dental missions organization that uh, pulling out people's teeth and, and everything like that. So once we figure out our model, which focusing more on education with a uh, focus on behavior change and also the fellowship program that uh, b- that build, uh, that help uh, bridge the huge gap between dentists and the population, we decided to, to do it this way. Because the local dentists that I work with, they, 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 they studied very hard and for a lot of years, and a lot of them don't have resources. And, and for us as a charity to go to those communities and provide free care, we realized that it kills local jobs for dentists. And instead, we wanted to get them involved, make them part of, give them the resources they needed to contribute to the, to the global issue. And that's when we, we came up with the idea based on the feedback we received from our local communities or local dental partners. And so far, it's, it's, it was the greatest decision because now they are one of the greatest contributors to the programs. And also, they feel like they are part of the global movement, not uh, an organization that brings dentists from the U.S. and exclude them as part of the solution. We include them as part of the solution. And I think uh, it was the greatest decision ever. So your impact stats now, you've now reached 7,000 children um, in eight countries and across four continents. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about you know one or two of these children? Like, do some particular success stories really stand out to you? Uh, some children that you've that you've helped and have really made uh, a, a big impact in their lives. Yes, uh, I, I I will have to mention the, the first one was uh, the when I was in the earthquake. That that story really touched me because um, uh, I saw the, for the first time I saw like the the most uh, advanced. Uh, uh, level of tooth decay in the child you know like almost the entire molars were covered with uh, cavities like big advanced level Mm. and what the parents were doing they were putting uh, aspirin on that tooth to relieve the pain for for the child which also created um, additional uh, issues on the oral tissues for them because, you know, uh, the secondary effect of putting aspirins constantly on, on the oral tissue cause secondary effects. It's just like those are called a story that touched me and, 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 and giving, like, the educate, educate people to really help those kids without hurting them, you know. That's one of the things that uh, really touched me. And then when I traveled to India, I saw a gentleman who... Who came us? It came to us at at the camp that we did, educational camp that we did, and he came with uh, pre-oral cancer lesions because in that particular area that we worked, there's a highest rate of oral cancer due to the uh, to people uh, chewing tobacco, smokeless tobacco, and that gentleman came in and with like an early lesion, so we already saw that, and the side of the face was already inflamed. And then we did the screening, and then I, I begged them to follow through to come back and, and, and get the ch- follow-up treatments from the hospital and surgery, and, and then he never came back. And then last year, I reached out to my friend and asked him about the, the gentleman, and he said the gentleman passed away because the infection spread out too big and they didn't come back. And um, so, that's, so that's one of the re- reasons why when we do the program in the school-based program, we did it specifically because we know that 
the behavior change that we want to seek from the children will last forever. Mm. You know, and we will equip all the children with the resources and knowledge they need to take ownership of their own health for for life. And uh, and 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 everything else because you know education alone wouldn't solve this problem because people still don't have access to care and early services. So that's why we build the fellowship program to equip each communities with their own um, dental health workers so that they don't depend on charity organization that oftentimes takes a while to get back to the communities. And and I think there's no not one specific way programs that can solve this this issue. It has to be incorporate many of the social determinants in order to really solve this this challenge. And that's what we we are here to do. What advice do you have for young people that are looking to make a difference in their community uh, and you know to potentially start their own venture? You know how how would you um, offer advice to them to to get started? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, every person on the planet have that in them. You know, it's in our DNA to do good. And some people, it takes a while. They don't know how to explore that. And for me, it was the same thing because prior to that uh, big event that happened in in Haiti after the earthquake, my, my sole focus was to get my degree in dentistry and start making money and living life and everything like that. So I never saw myself uh, engaging in, in so deep into the humanitarian uh, life. And, and and but I, I I knew I had that soft side in me. Uh, but and it was that that event, the earthquake, that triggered that moment and turned into global activism. But for other people, it could be anything. It could be like someone they see uh, working in the street uh, or any other event, someone who passed away from cancer that can act them, uh, that can push them toward, towards activism. So I encourage everyone first to really find that thing that, that triggers them to, to do good. Because other than that, uh, it, it, it's a very tough field to to work uh, to work on, and if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that determination, if it, to to do it, it, it will be very challenging. So I ask, I urge everyone to who wants to get in the field or to, to want to start their own venture first to know what you find your passion, and 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 also. Uh, find like at least one person or one group of people or one organization that can believe in you and invest in you just like the resolution project did for me because without them even though i wanted to do the passion but i didn't have the resources i didn't have the knowledge but the resolution project made it very easy for me to even if i felt i as I could ask them and say hey i felt this way which can you help me do anything which a lot of people don't have outside so i think that's what makes this program more valuable because if they give me like let's say fifty thousand dollars and say hey here's fifty thousand dollars go help children in haiti that money could have been gone within that that year Mm. and then but because the resolution give much more than the money and the resources that provides it's uh it's priceless I was able to do to do much more, 
And I think that's what I encourage everyone to do who wants to get in the field. First, find your passion and also find a group of people or one person that can believe and support you all the way through. throughout. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask, right? Don't be afraid to ask, you know? Yeah. Um, just as we as we wrap up here, um, you have a great presence on Instagram. And I'd, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd uh, encourage everyone to check out JP on Instagram. Uh, your name is Mayor of Smile, right? That's correct. Tell yeah. us a little bit about how you uh, came up with that name. Yeah, I mean, one one of the things that I saw that uh, while building the, the platforms, people were uh, inspired by my story and how I came about about this program. While while it was important for me to put the story behi- behind the uh, the project, I was also I came up to uh, an issue where uh, I was getting more coverage than the organization, and in fact, I wanted to take all the attention away from myself and shift them towards the organization because I could put something about uh, myself on Instagram today and say, oh. Uh, Jean Paul won the, uh, the resolution pro- pro- fellowship today, and I get tons of reply. Everyone's reaching out to do congratulations, and I will post the same thing on the organization page, and they get no 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 uh, um, traction. So, and I wanted to shift that attention away from myself to the organization, and that's where the the name Mayor Smile came through because it, it's part of my identity to to when anything that has to do with smile is a part of my identity. And as a mayor, uh, you you kind of work towards finding solutions to anything that affects uh, uh, your your city, your 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 state or anything and for me uh, giving that i'll be going to from city to city to to bring smiles all around the world so i think it makes sense for me to have this name and and get people to f- uh, to be curious about what's behind that name so that's uh, and, and then from there then the attention will then go to to the organization also that's great yeah love it um, Thanks. And for people that want to hear a little bit more about you and your work, you just recorded a TEDx talk, right? Yes, that's great. That was uh, exciting. And, and I think I encourage everyone to go on TEDx on my profile to check it out. It's uh, behind the, each smile, there is an unspoken story. And I, I tell uh, the entire story from my uh, beginning in Haiti all the way to building the organization and how everyone irrespective of your backgrounds locations can get involved can contribute to to help us reach that goal that bold vision to bring access to dental care to people in underserved communities around the world jp thanks so much for joining us and uh, keep up the great work thanks for having me jared 